answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean. Glad you are with us as we talk about financial matters, both myself and my co-host here, Pat. We are both financial advisors, practicing financial advisors with roughly three decades of experience um, each. And um, we come here, broadcast a program on the weekends to be your financial advisors as well. So, yes, although we can only, and frankly, we still have a, Small number of clients, not like we did years ago when we had more time, but um, we find this radio program gives us a chance to help people with some uh, good financial advice and sometimes even just a second opinion. As Pat likes to say in the industry, um, well, you say if we're in the what, what, <laughs> if this is the food industry, everyone would be dead. Yeah, I mean half our industry. We, look, we've got some. There's some great advisors in the financial space. Uh, people that make. Add much more value than the fees they charge, but there are uh, probably half the industry I would not trust with my children's piggy bank. And regardless of the size, in fact, probably more to the size to the detriment of many of the clients. Large insurance companies with yeah, yeah, no. crappy products, crappy products, uh, banks that take advantage of the fact that they're a bank. And have investment arms that actually put people into inappropriate products, pricey products, yeah. uh, not, not so sufficiently disclosing the conflicts of interest. So the reason we'd like to do this program and have been for so many times is just to provide uh, another outlet and also for second opinions. And oftentimes people will call us. They've been recommended to do something with their finances, with their investments and want another opinion. And we'd love to take those calls. And if you've got a question regarding anything financial Related, would like to take that call as well, and to join the programs eight three three ninety nine worth eight three three ninety nine worth numerically it's eight three three triple nine six seven eight four, and we will get your call scheduled and get you on the air. Or if you listen to podcast, we will schedule a time for that as well and um, have you on the program. And we appreciate taking calls because. One, we like to help the callers. And two, I think uh, it makes for a little more interesting radio program than just hearing us blabber on. I like I like the fact that sometimes they can be challenging, the calls. I like that. Like I find that challenged. our best advisors at Allworth are the ones that actually like the clients that are a little bit more complex, out of the ordinary, not run of yeah, the mill. Yeah, something you see a little different, complex yes. situation. Complex, complex. So, yeah, let's take some calls, Scott. Yeah, so let's start off right here with Steve. Steve, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, Scott. Pat, uh, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Thank hey, you. I found you guys. Uh, I found your uh, podcast uh, last February, just in time for the uh, COVID uh, crunch and stop market. I got to tell you, you guys gave me a lot of reassurance there. I, I mean. And after I lost about after I was down about seven hundred thousand in my retirement account, uh, I was really close to saying, "Okay, we need to go cash." And uh, I talked to my advisor. He said, "No, stay playing." But you guys really reinforced that for me, and I appreciate it. And your comments about this two shell pass and holy cow, was a stressful time for me. But, uh, you, you know, thank you, thank you, Steve. Let's talk. It let's, was stressful for us too. I know. By so the let's way. and emotionally. Uh, it, it didn't feel, it, you know, when when the market was down thirty four percent or whatever it was, it it was a painful time, scary time for everybody. And it, from an emotional standpoint, I mean, I, I a lot of things I wanted to do personally as well, but that's where you have to step back and try to set the emotions inside. And that's one t thing where you can, if you look back through history of economic cycles, unless you believe that humanity has somehow changed, which I don't. 
think we've changed a whole lot. <laughs> uh, and and although our, our American system of capitalism maybe is not what it once was, there's still we're still in a lot of great places. So you step back and it just kind of helps you put the emotions aside. So, uh, so Steve, I, I know you have a question, but I'll make a comment on that. I, I had a discussion uh, this morning with um, another advisor who's been with us for 24, 25 years. And I said, if this taught us nothing, it taught us that we cannot market time. Because who would have ever predicted that the rebound would continue uh, just uh, nothing we've ever seen in fact how (laughs) it could be the worst economic news and the market will be up 600 points and scott and i were talking about it this morning you see bankruptcies you see so you see companies filing from gyms planet fitness 24 hour you see dunkin donuts closing hundreds of you see united airlines laying off and then you see the stock market continue to, to rise or at least hold its own um and it is, this is why market timing doesn't work because I would have never, I, I don't know anyone that would have ever predicted that the recovery would be as fast as it is. And that's the stock market recovery. The, the, the economic recovery may be six months, nine months, two years, three years away from a complete recovery. And we have no idea. Um, so anyway, thank you for um, listening to your advisor. And thank you to listen yeah. for listening. Do you, to us. And by the way, do you listen to a lot of podcasts, Steve? Of financial podcasts? Uh, no, I, I listen to yours, and uh, that, that's about it right oh, now. Right. I, you know, I, I, I listen to uh, what's that one on NPR? Oh, uh, anyway, market, uh, market, market watch. You got, market? No, no. I know which one you're talking <laughs> to. You it's it good. Uh, ago, yeah, anyway, I listen to it as well. Uh, here's the only show I listen to now. It's, uh, All right. All right. Pretty, Appreciate uh, good, that. Straightforward. Plus, you got some fun to listen to. But my question is, uh, I've got three questions. The first one um, is, do I pay off my house? And a little background on me. I'm, I'll be 63 years old next month. My wife will be 60 next month. Um, I retired two and a half years ago. My wife wants to work till she's 65. That remains to be seen, but she—I mean—we're both real healthy and doing well. Um, we bought our final home, you know, our retirement home, the place we just, you know, last place we're ever going to die a year and a half ago. And at the time, we got a 15-year, four percent mortgage, paid 500,000 dollars. We're in Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. Um, we refinanced last month. Uh, I. I had a, a or a credit union had a ten year. Um, it's called uh, you know, retire your loan, and so I got a ten year three percent loan, just literally, you know, a month and a half ago. And I make my first payment on August first. How large is and the mortgage? No closing. Uh, the mortgage is uh, the mortgage is like uh, I, I owe one hundred seventy six thousand okay. on it. Also, it was appraised for five sixty seven when we had it refinanced. Okay. And um, so you keep, are you, are you on a speakerphone by chance or? Yes. Oh, no. can, can you get off the speakerphone? Please? Yeah. Cause we're hearing oh, we're, some we're, things are yeah. crystal clear and other things are not it's quite better. so crystal. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's go with it. Okay. So you owe $176,000 on the house. Do you have any money in the yeah. bank? Just like in bank savings? Um, yeah, we do. I do. It's uh, well, I got twenty thousand in savings, you know, probably five thousand in checking. Um, I got a, uh, you know, almost got it off. Um, IRA with uh, one hundred twenty-five thousand. I've got a brokerage account with uh, about three hundred seventy-five thousand. Okay, let's talk about that brokerage account. So you have a brokerage okay. account with three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in it. Is yeah. any of that money in the brokerage account? Uh, in bonds or cash or something um, fixed income? No, it's all, all securities. It's all securities. Uh, yeah, yes. And is the money in your IRA, is that in bonds or cash? Do you have any bonds in the portfolio anywhere? And when yes. Pat says. I've got, the, I've got uh, in my IRA, in my retirement account, <clears throat> we've got uh, approximately um, 2.3 million. That are in the IRA, 
125,000 of that is in a Roth, <clears throat> and the 375,000 that I just spoke of is in the brokerage outside of the Okay, so in the money in the IRA and the Roth, is any of that in bonds? Bond mutual funds. Or bond, bond mutual ETFs. funds. Cash. Fixed you know, Jenny Mays. Uh, uh, yes. How uh, much, how there much there? Bonds. Uh, probably half of it. Okay, so here's, what, here's how I want you to think of this, and then go back to your advisor with this question. Is there anything in your portfolio that's paying less than 3%? Whether it's in the IRA or the brokerage account. For this one, it, it, don't, don't, don't worry about what it is. Do you have anything in your portfolio that's paying less than 3% on its coupon? You probably do. Yes. My guess is you easily have over $176,000 yeah. in your portfolio yeah. that's paying. So you're yeah. borrowing money at 3%, but you're lending money at a lower rate than that. Right. Can I, can I say something? I built a model in Excel, you know, just to hand it out 120 months to see if you, well, I, I might be all face but to see if um, you know, there's a benefit of paying off. And that, that, that 3% interest that I'm paying for 10 years uh, comes out to $28,000. And, uh, and then I remember I said, I, I, uh, my monthly payments for house, well, no, $2,300 a month, but it, but a big tax on that. I understand. So here, I mean, given your net worth, uh, whether this mortgage is paid off or not is not going to change your lifestyle. One would assume, right? right? So in, unless Good. unless you are uh, have some concern and in, uh, and you you don't have enough monthly income coming in, and the mortgage payment is causing you to say, that, "Hey, honey, let's don't go out to dinner tonight because." We have this mortgage payment. If that's the case, then it is impacting your standard of living. But it's sh- you're at a point it it should not. So in a perfect world, you unless you like having the mortgage, and if that's the case, I would do a thirty year, not a ten year, because presumably these are the healthy years of your retirement. And, and see, so let's think of it this way: I come to you, Pat McLean comes to you and says, "Hey, Steve, here's what I want you to do." I want to lend you money at 3%. And you say, great. And then I say, and what I want to do is, then I want to borrow money from you at 1.5%. And you'd say, what? I'm like, I'm going to lend to you at 3 and I want you to lend it to me at 1.5%. Now, you ran an Excel spreadsheet, but you made it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. You're lending at 3 and you're, right, you're, you're lending at one and a half and you're borrowing at three. I, I guarantee you there are things in your portfolio that are yielding one and a half that have very, that are fixed income, probably Jenny Mays themselves. So if you were sitting in an office with any of our advisors, this is what we would do. We would look at your brokerage account. We would harvest either losses or gains and determine what the tax implications were on that. We would then take that $176,000 and pay off your mortgage. Assuming we could do it without any major tax implications. That's if we had some, then we'd weigh those in. We would we would make a decision. And there. then, But you might be saying, what? I don't want to sell those stocks. I, that mutual, if I like those funds, I like those stocks. And what would we do, Scott? We would repurchase those same stocks inside the retirement account. We would sell the low-yielding bond in the retirement account yeah. and purchase exactly the same things that you had in the brokerage account. So what we're doing simultaneously, right, is we're actually keeping your allocation almost identical, but we've actually gained one to one and a half percent on $176,000, which over the next 10 years will put you ahead, your net worth ahead, um, $20,000, somewhere in there. And odds are you are not getting a, a, a deduction for these might because the way the limitations on it and the high standard deduction. So, and Steve, unfortunately, your 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 voice um, is cutting. I don't know if it's a bad cell spot anyway, you're in. So, but that's that's that would be our advice. Go back to your advisor, and if your advisor says that's a bad idea, have them listen to this podcast and call me. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we'd have a debate on in the next podcast. Yes, we will. I will have an on air debate with your advisor if they tell if they tell you this is a bad idea. And by the way, on that, uh, any other advisor that would like to debate some of our stuff, because we talk like equity index annuities, 
we've laid out the challenge before. Any uh, equity annuity salesperson would like to join us sometime, and they can debate why they think they're great products. We would love to have them on the the program, but yes. um, as of yet, we haven't had a lot of takers. We do get emails or though. on um, uh, uh, Equity Index Universal Life Insurance. Yes, as a great retirement savings tool and great for college savings, great for <laughs> short-term for cash, great for. COVID-19. <laughs> it's not quite, I don't know about that, but yeah. Anyway. Not the stretch. But uh, um, it, to your, you, you, we talked about the market briefly with Steve. It is, um, and we'll get back to the calls here in a moment, but to think, to think that whatever is happening in the news on any particular day is going to have an impact on the stock market, all you have to do is go back and look at the headlines for the last three months, four months, and compare to the stock market, and you'll realize there's almost no correlation. It, it, it. Quite frankly, um, I am glad that our firm doesn't believe in market timing. I am quite proud of that because every indicator in the headlines, an economic indicator, would have told you if you looked at it from uh, 10,000 feet, would have told you that this is probably not a great time to be invested. But I use the word probably. But the reality is... Well, the, the stock market's always future-looking. That's right. Right. It has historically been future-looking. Not always. Well, not... Yeah, well, clear. I mean... Uh, yes. I mean, the current price is whatever... The price of anything is what two parties agree it's worth. That's period. Right. That's right? right. That's all that the and, price and so of anything is. Maybe, maybe this this market is being propped up by the Federal Reserve buying uh, bonds in the secondary market, including exchange traded fund, high yield bonds. They're bringing liquidity to the marketplace, which, by the way, may in fact be keeping interest rates in the bonds lower than they would well, in a normal. Actually, now they're talking about. Um, having in part of their kind of mandate to keep rates low, long-term rates low through a bond buying program, which is... So we remember when QE1 came out during yeah. the last yeah. crisis, and then it was QE2, and then it was QE3. There, There's almost no headlines about this. Yeah. And, and it might, you know, Pat, it might have been because there was some concern about quantitative easing, which is Fed going out and buying securities in the open marketplace uh, but the the fears weren't didn't they weren't didn't materialize anything negative if anything it was the opposite things were positive growing economy growing so maybe investors are looking at like perhaps the fed is getting this right this time when was the last time you heard the word term moral hazard well, you don't hear that anymore but you did last uh, uh the last decline in the market when the fed stepped in you heard it all the I time. Know. Moral hazard, moral hazard. It's interesting. And quite frankly, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I know that bringing liquidity to a marketplace um, in the... In, in times of crisis. In times... Listen, it's the liquidity in a marketplace, the bond marketplace, is what keeps the... It's the lubricant that keeps uh, businesses running. Right? You go to the grocery store... That stuff on the grocery, the shelf on the grocery store, who who owns that? Does the grocery store own it? No, right? They sell it on terms. They do? Yes. All the groceries? Almost all. It's sold on terms, 210, N30, whatever the terms are, right? They're sold on terms. The supplier, it's terms, right? It's the, the manufacturer. And that all takes, look, it look, takes someone loaning that, right? And what is, what is a loan? A loan is a promise between two parties. I'm going to give you this. You promise you're going to pay it back. Oh, and by the way, we might hold this as collateral. But a truck full of Triscuits isn't the best collateral in the world. The secondary They're market. They're pretty good. I don't know, particularly if you get some good cheese oh, on Oh, listen. The salt, the black pepper and olive oil, <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> but the point being is that I, I, the liquidity in the marketplace is it's it's really 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 important uh, for the lubrication of the U.S. economy. The question is, how involved should the U.S. government, U.S. government, Federal Reserve, be involved in that liquidity, and when do you call it enough? 
Right. I, I don't know the answer. Well, if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I, I, my answer today would have, is different than it would have been 15 years ago. Yes. After the financial crisis. But then you still kind of wonder over the long term. What? what I don't the challenge, I mean, the, the, the real challenge in this particular environment is when we've got a health crisis and we've got, um, it, it seems to me the epidemiologists have much more sway, much, uh, much more power over decisions than any other uh, expert out there that, that deals with life issues. So we should, let's call yes, it. Yes. So, and there's a large portion of the population that um, has no confidence in government at all. Well, uh, yeah, we see some of those people. I guess, you know, <laughs> well, I guess we do. Okay. Okay. Same on theirs. That's what they, <laughs> you kind of scratch your head. But, <laughs> uh, and on both sides of the aisle. That's right. right. But so we, we have a time now when you've got government imposed shutdown. These are outside influences, not market. It's not a normal market environment. When you tell a restaurant they cannot uh, have patrons indoors, that's not a normal market environment. That's right. When you tell, you have a retail store and you say you, you can only have curbside pickup. You can't allow, you're not going to let anyone come in and try on your jeans or whatever. Yes. That's not a normal environment. So when you figure we've got the economy that government has imposed shutdowns and it's been really fascinating this the uh, ppp loans payroll protection program loans that congress came out right in the right in the early days right everyone's kind of freaking out and no one makes great the best decisions under duress or <laughs> when you're under when you're in fear uh you speak of congress here or the people taking the loans or both or both, or in all of us, right? Correct. I mean, I mean uh, you look back, we made some good decisions as an organization during that time, and some not the best, but you make the decisions you can. And so, the, and you, and you to, live with it. And you live with it. And so, one of the issues with the uh, personal, the, the payroll protection program loans designed for small businesses at the time, it's like made it look like, hey, anyone who needs this, you want to be able to keep people on your payroll, here it is, as long as you. Use it for your payroll. It's forgiven by the federal government. It's basically a handout from the from the transfer of wealth from the federal government, designed to go from the government ultimately to the workers, through through the employer to the worker, through the employer to the work. And now we're reading these headlines about these companies that have taken it, and they're getting just kind of destroyed in you the know, press. It's really interesting. I we talked about it uh, either last week or the week before with investment advisory firms that were taking it, and you had an argument that. You know, a good advisor will help a client get pay less in taxes, get more in Social Security, which is in the form giving the government less and getting more from the government. And the PPP, after you had that, you and I had we did not take Allworth Financial did not take any of the payroll. But in retrospect, maybe we should have, Scott. Maybe we should have. Why? I don't know. I, 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 maybe we should have. Maybe that would have been a better business decision if maybe we bonus out the employees. Maybe we hire more employees. Maybe we open more offices. Maybe, right? Because the firms that took them, many of them absolutely. I know a gentleman that owns two large soap manufacturers. Soap, disinfectants. He's probably did very well this last Holy smokes. Months. And he got the PPP. He got the PPP. And Why? Because it was there. Because There's no parameters. There. It's, it's, it's not, line up and take it. <laughs> no parameters. Oh. Un, unlike the stimulus checks, where at least there were some parameters. Like if, if your income was too high. Your income or, was too high, then you didn't, there was no parameters at all. Yeah. And he said they're running three shifts a day, two plants, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with, think about it, if you, any industry that you want to be in right now would be RVs, boats, disinfectants. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. My wife was actually, we, my son said it'd be fun for us to go camping as a family. For how long? I'm not much of a camper. Six hours? I'm not much of a camper. In part, I say, if we want to go backpacking, that's one thing. Camping, going to some campsite, you never know who's there drinking until two in the morning. Right? I love camping. I hate campers. All right, well, that's so. And then the next thing I know, suddenly my wife comes to me a few days later. She'd been looking at renting an RV, uh-huh. right? And, starts ta- and then starts talking about the cost. I'm like... The last thing I want to do is rent an RV right now with every other person that's never owned an RV or driven an RV, which would be me, and <laughs> trying to figure out the campsite. How do you hook the thing up? 
How do you all that? Like uh, there was a great article this week in the Wall Street Journal about people that had just bought RVs or rented them and all the damage that would they be did. Me. Yeah, you, you've got to watch the movie RV. Um, I did see the movie RV yeah. with uh, Robin Williams. Yes, that was all. Yes, that yep. was, uh, that's all you need. Next time she wants to go RV and just play that for her. But they're clearly, to your point, there's some certain industries that have fared very well during this time, but those are going to be short-term blips. And they took the PPP because it was offered. Right? Yeah, I'm not here to pass moral judgment one way or the other on those uh, companies that have done that. So uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue with some calls. And um, if you want to join our program, contact number to be part of Allworth, 888. Eight, I'm sorry, 833 There's so many different toll-free lines. 833-99-WORTH. Again, 833-99-WORTH. Once again, that's a free call in case you have a, <laughs> a phone plan that was created in 1978. Okay. Uh, this is All Worth Financial. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen here. Pat McLean, thanks for staying with us. Yeah, glad you are. Glad you're here with us. Uh, and um, oh, if we before we go to the calls at 833-99-WORTH, 833-99-WORTH, uh, if you are listening to this on a podcast and you've enjoyed it, even a little, um, <laughs> just even the smallest, please do us a favor and uh, write a review. We can't ask for a positive review, but we are allowed to ask for a review. And uh, if you have friends that you think might enjoy it, just um, forward that little podcast over to them and we'd appreciate it. And that's uh, It helps me and my family and all the great associates. <laughs> it does. It helps your family. Yeah, the, more people listen to the show, more income. I had breakfast. With, I had living. breakfast with my twenty-year-old nephew this morning. Oh, you did? Yeah, because he's going to. Uh, you know, it's hilarious. Um, we'll, we'll get some calls. We oh, got- can we go to Tim? He's been holding, and then we'll come back. To, I'll right. write this note, nephew. Okay, Scott, so we don't forget. All right, let's let's, uh, let's talk with Tim. Tim, you're worth all worth money matters. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Hi, Tim. So I understand that most actively managed mutual funds don't outperform the passive indexes when you factor in the fees. Yeah, on stocks, yeah. Yeah, but with COVID impacting certain industries, it seems like maybe an actively managed fund might be able to avoid problem areas that won't come back for several years. And I have a growth fund that has had impressive returns seven of the last 10 years. But I'm wondering, what should I be looking out for? Have you judged that growth fund compared to the growth index that it closely mirrors? The Russell 2000? I don't know what the growth fund is, if that's the closest um, mirrored index. How's it compared to that uh, index? It's, It's doing better than that. And then if I wasn't in that fund, it's an apples to orange thing, but I would probably have it in the S&P and it's definitely, you know, doing better than that. Well, so, so the question, so did you buy this growth fund because you believed that growth was in a better position seven years ago? Or did you own some value funds as well? Um, I've actually had this for, for about 20 years. Okay. I just. Well, you're probably not going to want to sell because of the capital gain yeah. implications. Is it inside of an IRA or outside of an IRA or 401 in, in an IRA. Okay. So there's no capital yeah. gains. And what percentage of your portfolio does this particular mutual fund represent? Well, right now it's 30, and that was my other question is what percent should it be? Well, Yeah, so you're probably overweighted in growth stocks, which have done very well as the last – 15 years compared to value stocks. But so here's the thing. Um, when you look into to your point on act, so there's, here's the debate that goes along there, right? So it's, I don't know, depending on what study you look at something like 80% of all actively managed stock mutual funds underperform the indexes that they're that closely mirror them. So in other words, you would be better off just simply throwing in the towel and buying the entire basket of stocks 
and not even pretend, not even trying to manage these things. But Scott, at the same time, you've got to measure beta, do you not? Well, but but to that point, twenty percent actually do outperform. So the question is, the ones that are outperforming, is that based on skill, or is it based on random outcomes? And there'll be some economists that'll say, look, you can run do all studies. It is complete. It's just luck. If somebody outperforms 19 out of the last 20 years, that's just luck. Just like if you get a bunch of people flipping heads and coins and you're going to have someone who gets heads more times than that. Um, and so it could be that this particular manager was a growth fund just happened to be in the sectors that were undervalued at the time and that are now either more accurately priced or have outperformed clearly over the that period of time. 30%. In, in one growth fund is too much. Yeah. From a risk standpoint. It's, it's just too much. So how many mutual funds do you actually have or ETFs, exchange traded funds, do you have in your portfolio? Um, actually about five. Okay. And what percentage of your portfolio is bond or fixed income and what percentages are stock? The, the bond cash is 35%. And how old are you? Uh, 56. All right. I like the fact that you know all the answers. Um, that's, that's, I'm just going to give you that. Um, I would trim. I would trim that position. To what percentage? Yeah, that, what percentage of, of your portfolio was it seven years ago? Actually, ten years ago, it was a hundred percent in this growth fund. And then about ten years ago. I started to split things up because I'm starting to come up on retirement and stuff. But before I was let it ride. Wow. I've I, I, done really well. Oh, if I would have left it there. It oh, don't do double. that. Don't do that. No, you it can't do that. Because it's, you did it. It was a risk. It was a risk decision. Yeah. You were mitigating risk. It's easy to look back and actually look at return in the view that, that there was no risk there, but you were trying to mitigate risk, which is why you actually made the decisions you made at the time. And they may or may not have been appropriate. I, remember, I had a client years ago who was a skydiver, and he'd one day just quit. Just like he had done a couple thousand flights, and he quit. You mean he, he jumped jumps. out of a plane? A couple thousand times. He was, a, he was a, okay. an active skydiver. And I said, why'd you quit? And he said, I saw... I knew too many people who died. Too many people died. And I figured eventually, if I do it enough times, it's going to get me. Now, he, when he told me this, he had been quit for a few years. He could have said, looked back and said, I made a mistake by quitting because had I kept doing it, I would have had another thousand jumps because I see all these other people that have just survived fine. But the point was, it was a risk mitigation thing. It's like the, the benefit I'm receiving from that is not worth the risk at this point in my life. And it's maybe that's an extreme example, but that was the decision you made 10 years ago, which was the right decision and remains so. So speaking of risk, which is what we're talking about, we're not talking about enhancing return. It may enhance return. It may not enhance return. Um, you want to rebuild this portfolio with partially I'd keep some of that fund, but I wouldn't keep all of it. I'd probably get rid of at least half to a third of it okay and i'd buy the index or i'd buy something on the other side of well, the you equation know, i guarantee you don't own the fund in question i probably and you not. could do a screening that shows what's a great growth fund the last 10 years and it would probably be on that list yes but that doesn't mean it's going to be great for the next 10 years Yes. That's why I said either I would buy an index or I would buy something on the opposite side of it. So if it's all growth and you're underrepresented value in the growth portfolio, has had a huge run. I would probably have a tendency to weight more towards value. But quite frankly, I like index funds for the core of the portfolio and then use actively managed funds around the, the periphery. Okay. All righty. And actively managed in some sections of the bond market. That's right. You actually look there, and about half actively active managed. This is a bond market's a very different space, but about half of active, actively managed bond funds outperform their uh, underlying index. So go back and build a model of your portfolio. You'll find a tool, and you understand the difference between growth and value, large cap, mid cap, small cap. You understand that sixty five percent of your portfolio is equities, and thirty five percent are fixed or other things. Just build that with that in mind, which is basic uh, portfolio construction. All righty. 
Sounds great. Thank All you. Right. Appreciate All right. it, Tim. Wish you well, Tim. I was impressed that um, not a lot of people would actually fire it off unless you prepared for this call. I don't <laughs> I know. I don't know. Eight three three ninety nine worth is the number. We're talking with Josie. Josie, you're with All Worth's Money Matters. Hi. Yes. Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you. Um, I, I'm I'm fifty five. Um, single mom to adult children. Got them through college. Um, I basically did everything wrong with money. Um, and I'd have to say kind of a long story, but um, I ended a 25-year marriage about 20, about seven years ago. It was a to- you know, it was toxic, and we ended up losing everything. So really bad financial decisions. Um, so now I find myself pretty much um, with very little retirement, um, a huge student loan debt because I I assisted my daughter when she was going to a, a school that was way too expensive in New York. And um, I finally got a good job. I've got good income now, but now I'm going to have to try and figure out a way. And I don't own a home, so I have to try and figure out a way now how to pay off that debt. I was able to pay down credit cards, so I have no credit card debt, but I have this this really big um, student loan debt of like $145,000 that I don't know how to pay back and buy a home and build retirement. Okay, so, Josie, let's just start. Listen, you raised two kids. Um, they went to college. Uh, presumably, they are employed or will be employed soon. So that counts for a lot. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. As, as human beings, our number one priority in life is to take care of me and mine, and right, which is you and your children, and the hope that they have a better life than you have. And you've done that. So don't beat yourself up because on the standards of uh, U.S. wealth uh, indexes that you're not that high up, right? There are many parents that would love to say that their children went to college and that they are uh, self-supporting and happy. So let's talk about the rest of it. Did, is there any way these student loans can be discharged because of the employment status of the of your children, medical, education, that they've entered those fields. No, I I had um, the reason it's gotten so big is because I had put it on forbearance because I was working in non for profit and I had put it on a loan forgiveness program and I started paying it down. But my my I had taken a big um, pay cut, so my pay my my um, income wasn't high enough and then I didn't stay in those jobs long enough. Now I'm, I so, work for, wait, wait, but are um, the student loans, were they taken out for you or a child? They were a student loan for my daughter. It was a parent plus loan. Un- okay. Okay. So yeah. did you, w- w- what is your daughter doing now for a living? She's, uh, she works um, in her field as a designer. Okay. Design. Okay. I'm going to, Scott, I'm going to recommend that you actually listen to Dave Ramsey. Yeah, I've heard Dave Ramsey. Yeah, because, I mean, and he's got, like, complete money makeover program that, because there's, I mean, you're thinking the right things. It's going to take, it's not going to be easy for you to get the financial security that you're going to need. But you don't have a, you have have little options. So you can either bury your head in the sand and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and. These student loans are not going away anytime soon. Right. Yes. So he has programs, um, the complete money makeover. He actually, they do, you know, pre-COVID, they would do uh, in churches around the country, they would do small groups where they're actually put together, you know, small support groups surrounding debt and uh, lifestyle issues. And they work with people on that. So that is the direction. If you were my sister and you'd be my Mm -hmm. little sister, Josie, I would say uh, go to Dave Ramsey's website, listen to his, subscribe to some of his newsletters, and buy his Complete Money Makeover. Okay. All righty? Okay. All right. Appreciate the call. I wish you well, Josie. And it's, uh, um, uh, I tell you, it's taking student loans for your children is a, I would highly discourage anyone who's got, uh, child nearing college age. If you don't have the money saved, do not. It, it, it makes no sense to get into these st- bunch of student loans. And 
there are alternatives other than private colleges, such as public and community colleges, that your child can be educated at. The child graduates, not the college. The child graduates, not the college. So people like the idea that they went to the prestigious private college. But look, success in life, partially determined by that. But success in life, mostly determined by the drive of the student and how they actually absorb and use well, the con- I mean, you're st- so my son just graduated from Boston College. And in high school, he was all stressed out. He had... Um, uh, he, he was doing all, he applied to like 20 some universities. And I remember, so I went to junior college. It took me four years to get through the first two years. You had job. One, I, I, had, well, I had a little business I ran. Uh, and then I went to uh, a state school. And for me, there, one, I was kind of, a, didn't pay a lot of attention in high school. So I didn't have a lot of options at the time. <laughs> but it might have been just my wiring as well, right? Um, uh, and clearly, when I graduated from the state school, if I wanted to go work for Goldman Sachs, they wouldn't have hired me. Okay. okay. So it, it impacted my first few years in the marketplace. After that... You're on your own. It really makes no difference. I mean, when we hire people, particularly if they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, I, I, don't, I can care less. It's like, what have you done with your life, right? So my son was so stressed out about <laughs> getting into the right college. And like... Son, what I said, what difference does it really make? He says, Well, then it, it, it'll, it'll impact what, what grad school I can go to. Like, okay, and, and then what? I mean, <laughs> what difference does that is, make? Right? I mean, is that really the most important <laughs> yes. thing here? So, of course, now he's back home unemployed. Student loans, parents, grandparents signing student loans. So, Scott, but before we took those calls, you said you had breakfast with your nephew. And I forget what I was going to mention. Your 20-year-old nephew this morning. I completely morning. forget what I was going to mention. You're going to have to think about this. I did. You're having breakfast. You're I having no a discussion. I, he's 20 years old. He's moving into his career. I'm trying to give you... Uh, I can I can talk about... I can recreate the breakfast experience. <laughs> okay. with, he had French toast and... <laughs> All right. I had a bagel sandwich. Okay. Eggs with veggies, no cheese. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we know so you're that's, healthy. That's all we, I got. We know you're healthy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What, okay. Uh, I can't help. Well, you. if it if it if it comes to the surface, I'd like to. It's not going to come. It's irrelevant. At we. This point. I one time met one of your nephews who was a university professor or something, an avowed communist. Oh yeah. I don't know if he's an avowed <laughs> communist. No, this is hilarious. He just got his PhD in economics. Okay. And maybe it was some sort of global economics or something like that. This is a hilarious story. He's a great kid. Um, he's not really a kid. He's mid-30s. <laughs> he's got two kids now of his own. But he's still... So he he had recently... He'd spent 10 years getting his education because PhD, it takes a long... Anyway, so... He, and I'll never forget, He we were at a... We had a... Some sort of corporate offsite somewhere and he... in Right near where he lived. And so we invited him to come join us for dinner. And afterwards... We're all sitting by there was one of those fire pits at a hotel. And I'll never forget, Pat, you guys are having this conversation about taxes. And, of course, he believes that tax rates should be much higher uh, for equality purposes, et cetera. And you said, I'll never forget, you said, well, look, you said, as, an, as an employer, if the tax rate gets too high, there'll be a point where I'm going to say, what's the? why should I take on any risk? Because if I take on risk and it works, I only keep 20 cents on the dollar. And if it doesn't work, no one's there to bail me out. It's all going to be in mine. So there'll be a point. It just it doesn't make sense for me. And he said, I was sitting right there. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> okay. He said he got PhD in economics. <laughs> I just thought, you got a PhD in economics and you, you never, never thought, thought about of it from an employer's uh, risk takers, an entrepreneur, if you will, although I hate using that word. A multi-business owner over my lifetime, many of them successful, but men, some of them not. Correct. Right? I mean, not everything I just thought it was the funniest thing. You get a a PhD in economics and you never thought of it from- Your nephew. The taxation of of income and what it can do to- um, Yeah, but most economic- How did we get on this? uh, We were talking about nephews and you have a ton of nephews, but most economic professors, in my experience- have are relatively liberal. Everyone I had in college was absolutely liberal. I don't remember. I do remember one economics teacher, uh, Haney Scott. 
Um, and he was, he was, he was, he was old then. And then I was back at the college five years ago and he had just retired. I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, he's, he was, that's the nice thing about that profession. You can keep doing it forever. But uh, one thing I enjoyed about Haney Scott is at when we, the end of the school year, we would go out to take us out to the park and he'd buy, he'd barbecue and buy a keg a beer really? for the students, all students. Yeah. I'd have a keg. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all I remember about economics. That's econ- all I remember. That's all I remember about economics. I had one. That's all. And anyway, uh, let's continue on with calls. 833-99-WORTH is the number. We're in Colorado with Grace. Grace, you're with All Worth Money Matters. And if you could turn off your radio, that'd be great. Hello. Hi, Grace. Hi, Grace. Hi. What can we do for you? Um, I have a bit of a problem. Um. I just uh, took an equity loan out on my house. I had 45 equity in it, but I only took 40 because I didn't think I'd need more, but I do need more. So, because um, we're getting some construction done, our deck six and some paneling on the outside of the had to be replaced. So, Grace? And little miscellaneous things. Anyway, I I, I got the loan for 40000 at 2.75%, so 2.750. And um, I needed more money, so I told them I wanted the other five thousand I had available. So I had to refinance it, and and um, they said that I would be better off taking three ninety nine uh, interest instead of what I have now because it was fixed for five years. Okay. The two point seven five zero is not fixed okay. for five years, okay. but that's. What? That took a big jump in in uh, the un- payment. Un- understand? Understand? So what is the value of the home? Well, I had a appraised about a year and a half ago, and it was two twenty. But uh, I think now it's up to two forty or two forty five. Okay. And what do you owe on the home? You talk about this equity line of credit of forty five. Right now, I own one hundred nine on, on the house. And what's the interest rate on the hundred and nine thousand? Uh, 3.65, I think. Okay. And have you considered just refinancing the whole thing into a new mortgage on a 30 year fixed rate mortgage? No. Okay. Well, you haven't even thought about that. You're, you're not getting the best advice. Um, no, from going to preface that we're going to try to give you better advice uh, than what you've been receiving. How old are you, Grace? 76. And are, are you married? Yes. And how My old is husband- He's 66. He's 66. You're a real cradle robber there. And the value of the home is 240. (laughs) So you owe 109,000 and Uh plus the $45,000. What income do you have coming in? About 50, 51. From where? Uh, A year. That's all our total uh, income. And where does it come from? Is anyone working? Yeah, my husband's still working uh, part-time nights and, and uh, comes from Social Security and pension, military pension. Who has the pension, you or he? He does. And do you have any money saved in IRAs or the bank or anything like that? No, I have some money in the bank right now, but I already am spending it on furniture and stuff we needed for the house. Well, you don't need furniture, really. I mean, that's a, that's a... But, Believe me, I needed the furniture because okay. I needed a lift chair to begin with because okay. I'm handicapped. Got Have it. you considered and a reverse mortgage? No. Is that is that really good? I, I heard so many stories about it. It scares me to even think about what it. What stories have you heard that are bad about them? That, you know, you'd never get your money out of it. And, That's not right. And if you want to sell it, you've got a problem. And That That's could be right. true, but that, that would be the same on any, on any mortgage. Think of it this way. A reverse mortgage is no different than what you're looking at now, with the exception of you don't have to make the payments. And the principal that you owe goes up every month by the amount of the interest that gets added to the back of the loan. So, But interest ho- rates are relatively low. And presumably, over the long term, home prices will continue to increase. You're guaranteed to never be um, kicked out of your home. Given the fact that you, you know, just told me, particularly with your disabled and you're, you're borrowing money against your home so you can afford, um, uh, so you can make it accessible for your, your disability, it's kind of like now you, so you're borrowing money, you're pledging your home as collateral. You have to make payments on that, and if you don't, they can take your home. 
Um, no, we, we make payments regularly. I, I, I understand. understand. I understand. If so, you were my sister, Grace, I would say we're going to spend some time looking at, really looking at what you what you could get as far as a reverse mortgage goes. And um, But at a minimum, what you want to do is refinance this 109000 and the equity line of credit of 45000 into a new fixed rate 30-year loan that's going to be lower yes. than both that 3.65 and that 3.99. And it's going really? to be fixed. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Interest rates are about like 3% on a 30-year mortgage yes, right now. Yes, yes. Assuming really you have good credit, you have plenty of equity in the home. Um, I would call um, one of the big... Yeah, you know, Quicken or one of those. Yeah, or uh, Loan Depot or Rocket Mortgage or one of those. But... If, if you were my sister, I would. these are the two options I'd look at. First of all, no-brainer, you're going to refinance uh, a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage for both of those. And maybe even take another five, six thousand, ten thousand dollars $6,000, $10,000 out if you need to. And then the second thing I would explore is I agree with Scott completely. I would explore a reverse mortgage. There's some things to look in that because your husband's quite a bit younger What's his health like, life expectancy, some of those others. So that reverse mortgage may not be the best thing for you today, but it might be something in the future uh, just because it would, it would it would provide you additional discretionary income each month uh, to live. And the only one that gets hurt in a reverse mortgage is the people that would have inherited your money. Yeah. And if you're concerned about them inheriting as much as possible, then live like a pauper. Yes. Don't go out to eat. Don't don't do anything. Uh, Just save it for them. Save it all for them. But I don't think that is your. But at a minimum, thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage. Put the first and the equity line of credit in there. I would look into those things as well. And you might be at a point. And reverse mortgage, by the way, appreciate the call, Grace. Reverse mortgage is kind of the last trip to the well. It's for most people. You don't want to have to plan for one. You don't want to have to be in your seventies saying maybe I should get a reverse mortgage. But if you find yourself at that stage then um, it's definitely something. It's another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. I mean, again, in a perfect world, the right kind of planning, you never even have to consider it. But um, sometimes we find ourselves in other situations. So we're out of time. Unfortunately, we are here every week at the same station. And if you listen to a podcast, of course, you can listen to us 24-7. This has been All Worth Money Matters. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.